Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Amen. Good morning and welcome to Rescue Radio. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, that you are God, that you are good, that you are here with us. And Lord God, that we pray that your will will be done in and through us this day as it's being done and declared in heaven. We submit ourselves to you and the power of your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. We thank you, Father God, for your salvation, bought and paid for and brought to us through the love of Jesus Christ through his sacrifice on the cross, Lord God, that it is finished, it is final, it is paid for. There's nothing we could do to add to it. Father God, so we thank you for that salvation. We thank you for the privilege to be sanctified and called to participate in your body, in your bride, Lord God. We thank you for the the sufferings that you have allotted to us to prepare us, to uh, appoint us, to transform us into that bride of Christ. We thank you also, Lord God, for the power that you've given us and the authority over all the power of the enemy, that you'd make that clear to us, Lord God, that we have that same power to bind, loose, and forgive that you've given us, Lord God, that you demonstrated when you were here. I thank you that the promise that you've given us that no weapon formed against us will prosper is still valid, and that we declare this day that the enemy is bound, the spirits of confusion, disruption, distraction, hindrance, delay, the work of the thief, discouragement, the works of darkness, the lies, the deceptions that have bound your people. I pray for divine blessing and revelation for your people, our families, those who work for us and pray for us and love us, those who have come to us for help, those who are part of the body of Christ, that each one today would be stirred up in their pure mind to remember and to know the love of God. I thank you, Jesus, that you are the faithful witness. You are the one who promised to go with us, never to leave us or forsake us. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, you are the one who comes to testify through your word, through your spirit. Lord, so give us grace and favor, wisdom, knowledge, and revelation now as we seek your time, your your counsel in this um, discussion of boot camp and the bride. Father God, we know that you are getting ready, the bride of Christ. So we thank you for that, and we thank you for our guest, Dana. Dana, welcome to the show today, and our title, of course, Boot Camp and the Bride, and it's about preparing and transforming through trials and sufferings. So welcome, Dana. I hope you're doing well today. How are you? Thank you, Margie. You know, it's been unreal each week that we've picked the subject subject we're going to talk about. I've had to live what I'm planning on teaching, and it's no coincidence that this week is on testing because I am being put through the worst of tests with no results, no answered prayer, mm-hmm. No change in my circumstance, and I am beat up. I am full of shrapnel from battle. I have post-traumatic stress. I just want to go into the triage center and be cared for and comforted and get some relief from all the trauma I've been through. And I was so weak this morning, exhausted. I had an extreme migraine yesterday. I've just felt completely oppressed on every side, like darkness is just over me, wanting me to sin. And um, it's very tempting to just go off Give the up. path. And yeah. I felt weak. I haven't felt strong in prayer. I haven't felt 
God's presence this week like mm-hmm. I had the last two weeks I spoke. He feels far from me. Mm-hmm. And um, I, it's well, very All the makings wanna, of a very good test, isn't it? Yeah, extreme, it's very easy to want to... It's easy to want to get up, give up, and I had told you I didn't think I'd be doing today's show. And at 8 o'clock, I, you know, was just praying about it. And about a half hour later, I was thinking, you know what, I'm not going to do the show. I'm just going to take a bath and close my eyes and rest. I'm exhausted. I can't even think straight. And when I prayed about it, it's amazing. This old hymn came to mind that I haven't heard in years, mm-hmm. and it just came right through me. And it was a song I sang. And the song was, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. Mm-hmm. And it just came right through me, and I mm-hmm. thought, you know what? I'm going to seek your kingdom. I'm going to seek your kingdom. I'm going to seek righteousness instead of following the desires of my flesh right now, which is really to mm-hmm. go back to bed and just sleep and yeah. hide from the world. So, um, like I said, I'm really having to live what I'm talking about today. And um, just the insights I'm learning, yeah. and um, I know he's going to sustain me through it. That's right. And That's so right. I come to you weak and battered and um, <laughs> discouraged. But here, but, but here, not praise broken. God. Reminds me of what Paul says, um, where is that in Corinthians? I've got to find that while, I should have been thinking of that while you're speaking, because Paul talks about that himself. Uh, hold on if I can find it. He does it both first and second Corinthians. He talks about um, being battered, and here's his, for we are hard pressed. This is Second uh, Corinthians four eight. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Um, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Um, And then he goes on to say that, therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, you know, that's interesting how that we have been told by Paul, the great apostle. He also went through these. I think in one place he said, hard-pressed even unto death. We despaired even of life. Um, and that that's part of, I believe, Dana, the transformation of coming into the bride of Christ, coming into that place of a transformation really requires a death process and a death or dying. And so you're losing your mortal body is failing as weak as we all are, you know, and I, you know, must, you know, I, I'm not immune to tests myself. And yet I think as you are getting older and older in the Lord, we become more and more aware of that, the fact that we are being tested. But if you look at the scripture where he says, um, we're carrying about the and the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Most people are not given to that kind of goal in their lives. They're not trying to carry about the the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're trying to survive, live, and have a good time. But if we look in Colossians, there's a very curious scripture that kind of works with our Bride of Christ theme. Um, and I'll just read it for you, and then we can talk about that too. First, first Colossians, um, 
I'm going to start with first uh, chapter 1, verse 19, and read down to verse 24-ish. Okay. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. That is in Jesus, of course. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So Jesus' job was to bring reconciliation, restoration, healing, because there had been a severe breach brought between God and man in their in their relationship through sin, through Satan. And so Jesus came as a reconciler, and he had to do that through suffering and through his cross, through death. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. I think even the continuation of sin and wicked works and being tempted and being given over to temptation and um, choosing to follow those those easier paths or uh, those paths of seduction, uh, the enemy continues to try to use that to keep us separated and feeling bad about ourselves and unworthy and not uh, qualified to be anything uh, like the bride of Christ. In the body of his flesh, he died through death to present, his, uh, to, to present us holy, blameless, and irreproachable in his sight. So the bride of Christ has to be prepared she has to be transformed. And with your suffering, Dana, with going through, you know, the, the trials that you have, and um, uh, you're really a prophetic, a prophetic uh, act, if you will, of what God, Jesus is himself going through in the preparation of his bride um, in your marriage and in your relationships in our body, um, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. So he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, continue. In the faith, whether it, you feel like it or not, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And here's the verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, which obviously is also the bride. So he's saying, I'm rejoicing in the fact that I can continue, I can fill up or, or add to or complete, I guess is a good word, the, um, the afflictions that are still uh, required to bring the bride to perfection. You know, when you prepare for things, whatever it is, if it's a, a race or a, a test, uh, a, you know, whatever it is, there is a time of preparation, a time of suffering. And the Amplified, it says, Even now I rejoice in the midst of my sufferings on your behalf, and in my own person I am making up whatever is still lacking and remains to be completed on our part of Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church, which, of course, is the bride. So, Dana, what do you say? What, what, do, you, what do you think about this completing the afflictions or making up the difference, what is still lacking, to complete well, on our part? Well, it's like we talked about, Margie. Um, God sees everything upside down from the way we see it in the world. So, like in First Peter four fourteen, it says, "If you are insulted and reviled for bearing the name of Christ." Mm-hmm. So, if we're really <laughs> down Suffering. and out because the world is treating us bad, He says, "You are blessed, happy, mm-hmm. with life, joy, and comfort in God's salvation." And what's interesting is the original Amplified says, regardless of your circumstances. So yeah. it's like we talked about two weeks ago. It's not about the earthly outcome. It's, that's not where the victory is. So my circumstances are still 
exactly the same. They continue to be more dire, less hope, mm-hmm. more um, shattered dreams, more mm-hmm. um, unanswered prayer. But he says, you are blessed, happy with life, joy, and comfort in God's salvation, regardless of your circumstances. So I have to let go of my feelings because mm-hmm. I don't feel good right now. But I have to <laughs> yeah. search deep within me to what the Spirit of God is telling me. And um, the end of this verse says, because the Spirit of glory and of God is resting on you and indwelling you, he whom they curse, you glorify. So I know what he's telling me. Where is that me, again? What What's he, the passage? Tina? That's First Peter 4, First Peter four fourteen, and I read it out okay. of the Amplified okay. mm-hmm. um, because I like how it says, regardless of your circumstances. Yes. And mm-hmm. when I went through um, this week the Beatitudes, it's the same thing. He right. says, mm-hmm. blessed. Let me see, one, yeah. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine times. And every time, it's mm-hmm. something that the world would think is horrible. He says, yeah. blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired are the poor in spirit. Um, those who regard themselves as insignificant. So like you said, it's a dying to self. Mm-hmm. Blessed are those who mourn over their sins and repent. Blessed are you who are gentle and kind-hearted, sweet-spirited, mm-hmm. and self-controlled. Blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed, content, sheltered by God's promises are the merciful. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the pure in heart, those with integrity, moral courage, and godly character. So those right there are the traits of, like we talked about last time, uh, mm-hmm. what makes a good soldier coming out of boot camp, someone who's courageous, who has integrity, who has character, who's going to endure, who seeks what's good, puts himself second. Then mm-hmm. he says, blessed... Spiritually calm, with life joy, in God's favor, are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they will express his character and be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing what is morally right. And then the last one, blessed, morally courageous, and spiritually alive with life joy are those that when people insult you and persecute, Mm -hmm. persecute persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of your association with me, be glad and exceedingly Mm -hmm. joyful for your reward in heaven is great, absolutely inexhaustible, it says. So the Mm -hmm. reward in heaven is so great for these things that Mm -hmm. the original verbiage was absolutely inexhaustible for the same way they persecuted the prophets. So that's what I wanted to um, really show is that why is God allowing us to go through trials. Well, mm-hmm. we see it as, you know, God, I'm trying to serve you. Why can't you help make life a little easier for me? Why won't you just mm-hmm. answer my prayer? Why is everything such a struggle? Yeah. Like my heart's wanting to be obedient. Why don't you just help me out? Why don't I'm, you make it I'm, easy? <laughs> right. I'm praying hard. Yeah. Do I lack faith? Am I sinning? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I went through lowered confidence, self-esteem, like feeling like I'm not worthy. Like God, what yeah. am I doing wrong? And what, right, exactly. why aren't you helping think, me out? Yeah. Why aren't you exactly. helping me out of the trial? Like we want well, to get out of the, the trial. One of the but, traps but, is that self examination. Um I know mm-hmm. you know, we're the Holy Spirit is to, to lead us and convict us of sin and righteousness judgments. But a lot of times I think what you're you know, I'm gonna just stop you for a second and say this self examination where we what am I doing wrong? What didn't I do right? You know, I don't have enough faith. It must be me. It must be. And Satan, I really believe, wants us to turn it back to ourselves again and say, you know, here's my fault. Here's my flaw. Here's my lack. Here's my sin. It's my fault. Therefore, you know, I had it coming. 
you know, God has a right. And then that reflects back on God that he is just impossible to please. And so you get a, a widening of that breach in the relationship. So the fiery trial that is meant to bring us into this inexhaustible joy and reward, Satan is really working at the opposite to try to widen the breach and create a greater uh, valley or rift between us and God by using my uh, self-examination, which I believe is a, a huge pitfall. I do not, Paul says, I do not judge my own self. And so when we're going through the, the thing that we see with Job and Abraham, for example, in their tests, and Joseph as well in the, in the prison, that they were very patient. They didn't try to make a judgment about God, about what was going on, or themselves. They simply um, listened and tamed an obedient a quiet spirit. You said, yeah, poor, poor in spirit. I believe that's a quiet spirit that is willing to wait for God to reveal the justice and the truth of the whole thing. Because ultimately, most of the trials that we're going through are not self-imposed and they're not because God hates us. But really, we misjudge the trials. The trials are God's being tested, you know, and the test that we're going through is are we going to become bitter are we going to become, uh, you know, uh, I guess bitter is the word, mad at God for, like you said, for not helping us, for not being there, for just letting us suffer, suffer, suffer. But every trial that we go through is, um, he is, is about, do, are we going to believe that God is good, that he is our healer, our deliverer, and our father? Um, is he going to do what he promised, or is he a liar? And, you know, if God is a liar and doesn't come through on his promises, like many absent fathers that we've known, um, if he's a disinterested God, he is not good. So every trial, every trial that's not good, it's it's miserable, is all all always always about testing the goodness of God. You see that? It's always. Yeah, am I going to continue to believe the goodness of God in my life and His promises? Yeah. Go ahead. And the things I was saying, those are all my flesh, saying, you know, am I lacking faith? Why isn't God? That's all, those are all lies. You're exactly right, because it's not about me at all. Right. And we have to have the bigger picture. And what's amazing is when you look in Scripture, this is all about God wanting to reward us. I mean, he yeah, talks about crowns. He talks about duties in uh -huh. heaven. He says, if I trust mm -hmm. you with a little, I trust you with a lot. He talks mm -hmm. about rewarding perseverance. We went through the Scriptures two weeks ago uh -huh. about all the rewards he has for an overcomer, for finishing the race. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, is how can he reward us if we have nothing to persevere? If our life was oh, yeah. easy, what would be the point when I get to heaven? Yeah. Like, how is mm -hmm. he going to say you persevered if I didn't have a battle to persevere through? So in order to reward me, he's got to allow a battle for me to mm -hmm. fight through. So and it's actually a blessing. That's why it's a blessing I thought but, we need to see it the way God sees it rather than the yeah. way our flesh sees it as, God, why don't you just end this battle? I want to get to heaven and know I endured a really tough battle. I mean, who are the mm -hmm. war heroes? They're the ones that come back with the most amazing story of endurance. It's yeah. like the movie Unbroken, you know? I mean, that was an amazing story of what he went through, and he was unbroken. And that's the thing. It's like the harder the battle, the more that we hold up, the more that we show our perseverance, the greater the reward. The greater the battle, the greater the reward, the greater the hero. You know what I'm saying? Well, so it's, and it also manifests that unbrokenness is the enduring strength of the of the Lord God that dwells in us. It's the strength exactly. of Christ. So we're fulfilling part of the trials. We're, we're actually, you know, the battle has been won, 
but you know, and finished at the cross. But it's interesting how we're still allowed to participate in that battle, even though it's finished, so that we can be those war heroes. Because all you know, I really believe that all of our trials are based on the revelation knowledge of Jesus Christ and who He says He is, and that's what's being tested. We're we're being tried and tested. Do we believe in the goodness and the faithfulness of God? That's what it always boils down to. Is He good? Does He lie? Does he know what we're going through? Uh, does he care? Um, is he there with us or has he abandoned us? It's, these are all the questions Satan poses to our mind. And if we walk in the Spirit, then we'll have the revelation of the Spirit, which says, I know this doesn't feel good, but the just shall live by faith, not feelings. Faith in the promises that God is good. This is all going to come to a, a wonderful end for those who per- persevere, even though, like we talked last week, the outcomes may not always be um, what we would define them to be in order for it to be a successful endurance test. I mean, we have our ideas of how it should look in the end in the natural, but it's really what God is calculating it to be in his um, book of remembrance, if you will. And so I think that, you know, again, the test goes back to, is God good? And if I know that God is good, and, and I don't judge, make my character judgments on God based on what I see or perceive or I uh, am uh, influenced into believing he is, but I go with the word of God, I go with his actions, his demonstrations as he demonstrated in the word, that he is good, that he does not lie, that he knows what's going on, he knows my name, he knows the hairs on my head, he knows everything. He is not interested in me failing. He is there to sustain me. And that is a comfort right there because then everything in this world pales to the revelation in the spirit of what God really is doing to transform us, to become heavenly minded. Exactly. And, you know, Margie, when we were in California this summer, I was feeling so like my confidence had been attacked and I was feeling so like, oh, I'm just unworthy. What is my problem? You know, it's really easy to beat yourself down and Mm -hmm, follow mm -hmm. those lies like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And you had taught me, you know, what what does God tell you? Is God telling you you're unworthy? And I had said, no, God would say I'm worthy. And when I looked up worthy in scripture, it was the rest of that scripture that I was sharing in Peter. In Mm -hmm. verse 16, it says, if anyone suffers ill treatment as a Christian because of his belief, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God because he is considered worthy to suffer in his name. So it's not that God sees me as unworthy. God sees me as worthy, which is a whole different way of looking at it, that Mm -hmm. we can actually rejoice in our suffering because we're found worthy. And he's there cheering us on. You know, and it's the difference between um, temptation and testing. And, uh, you know, Satan wants to tempt us. Satan wants to test us by leading Mm -hmm. us astray into sin. But God allows the test in order for us, our strength to be, um, our faith to be um, strengthened and um, reinforced, and um, that it prepares us for another battle in overcoming Satan. So God's tests prepare us to stand up to Satan's tests, which are meant for evil. Like, for example, when um, they came across into the Promised Land and there was the river there, and um, he told the priests, you know, just go in, and he was going to part the waters. They had to go in by faith, and he parted the waters. And then when they went to the Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then when they went to the Promised Land, 
they had to you know they had to do amazing battle with all the ites, all the evil um those people, are giants but by the way <laughs> the giants exactly yeah. but god showed them look just take this leap of faith walk into this river which is a test of their faith he parted it and it it strengthened them to to see god's power and um, they were obedient to him, and then it prepared them for greater tests, greater obstacles. So a lot of God's tests that he's putting us through is preparation and strengthening us, whereas Satan's tests are really meant to lead us into sin and to lead us astray. So there's two different purposes there. But ultimately, it's like you said, Margie, it's God's character on trial, not ours. So That's right. and I know exactly. you're, God's you're passionate about yeah, and, and you can talk about that because I know it's it's your you know your passion there um, to talk about the interlude between God and Satan with Job, for example. Mm-hmm. Right, and you know, and obviously, if we look at the scriptures, but unfortunately, uh, people don't know the scriptures, and they're not really that interested in in suffering for Christ or be, or making up the what's remaining of the afflictions of the body of Christ. They're not really you know we're tempted to go in the flesh. The Bible says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places in Ephesians. But the thing is, we are very prone to take on the battle ourselves, take on the offense ourselves. And um, Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And that offense means when we, and here's part of the problem too, I think the test, the Satan would like to make the test all about me and all about my failure or my sin or my weakness or my lack of faith or what's being done to me so he can get me to take up an offense. So in Hebrews chapter 12, I can become bitter and um, alienated and, and hold grudges and become angry and, and pout and become sullen because God isn't doing something to make this fair and just. And I feel sorry for the people who have to have justice now because there is no justice now. This earth is, has no justice. So if you're waiting for justice to come in this lifetime, in this temporal life, you are going to be miserable. Justice comes, as you said, when the reward comes, and that comes at the end when God vindicates himself and validates us. And when God comes again, he will bring both vindication and validation. And for us now, it is to endure and to overcome. Now, going back to being offended, when people hurt you, speak ruthless things about you, set you up, and they're doing it under the counsel of demonic intelligence and demonic favor. If you've ever noticed that people who are doing wrong things, they just get blessed, they seem to have no problems, they they get prospered, promoted, make money, uh, receive the accolades, all of the things that you would think would come to a righteous man. And the righteous one that they're persecuting and, and horribly, uh, I, I don't even know what the words would be, persecuted, uh, spewing vile accusations against whatever, getting them entangled and in trouble, they seem to just be swallowed up with this thing. But really, when we, when Jesus had this same trial of of enduring the vile accusations, the reproaches. Uh, they tried to stone him. They tried to drive him over the cliff. They tried to uh, catch him at his words. They they tried to snare him. And he says, for which of these good works are you wanting to stone me or kill me? And he says, you are your father, the devil. You're not of Abraham. Abraham didn't want to kill me. And then they, they minced, they, they, you know, mashed him for those words because he said, well, you, you're only 50 years old. How can you know Abraham? Blah, blah, blah. They're always trying to catch him in his words. But Jesus 
the bottom line in not being offended and taking this thing personally and going along with what the flesh would lead us to do, weakness, vulnerabilities, injustices, self-pity, poor me, um, all these things would lead us into taking this thing personally. But blessed is he who is not offended. That means Jesus it was not offended. We never see Jesus as offended. We see him as, you know, his spirit groaned. I think he was bearing the weight of this tragedy of earth uh, in his spirit, and I think he grieved over that a lot. But he didn't take it as a personal offense. He never, he even though it was all intended to be personal, and when I say to people, don't take it personal, and then they'll retort, the demon, demonic retort is, well, it was intended to be personal. It was, it was meant, it was sent as a personal. I said, that doesn't matter what it was sent as. You have a choice not to become offended, because if you know who you are, that we are the bride of Christ, that we are here, and this is our time of severe testing. This is the time where we triumph um, in God's eyes, but maybe not in the world's. We do not take it personal. We, and because why? Because I know who I am. I am the daughter of the Most High God. I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm called to be a soldier. I'm called to be part of the bride of Christ, to endure, to persevere, to prevail, through Christ, through his Holy Spirit who dwells in me, to be more than a conqueror. And even though it doesn't look like that here, God is the one who's making the final, he's the final judge. Final decision comes from that judge, not any other judge, or not even me myself judging. So if we would learn to not, to know who we are, if we would know who we are, we wouldn't feel like an evict, a victim, we wouldn't feel like abused, we wouldn't feel sorry for ourselves, we would just endure. It wouldn't be so complicated because the enemy always wants to make it all about me, poor me, nobody loves me, you know, it's, it's my turn, blah, blah, blah. And so that just exacerbates, that just frustrates um, this, the work of the Spirit in us. I, I really believe it's all about knowing who I am. And if the devil has, under, you know, he has eroded so many people's sense of worth and value and lovability and desirability by God. He's eroded it with a corrupt uh, filtering system, a program that operates, a, a program of shame or disgrace or entitlement. It doesn't matter what the program is. If Satan set it up, it's a demonic program. And so people always go back to, you know, this is the bottom line lie Satan tells everybody. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. Uh, and in all of that, if you look at the word love, truly love, true love, is to know and be known. It is not conditional. It is not based on what I am performing and doing to please you so that you will love me. It's not. So if, if Satan is telling you <clears throat> you're, you're failing your test, you're unworthy, you're nothing but a screw-up, you're a loser, you're weak, you're stupid, you're never going to make it, everybody's laughing at you, um, and then you join with him and, and agree, yeah, I'm stupid, I'm, I'm a loser, I'm a screw-up, I'm bad, I'm unworthy. If you agree with those lies then you have just voted with the devil and tied God's hands. You've actually tied the hands of the Almighty God with your ability, with your, with your vote. You've, cast your, you've decided, chosen to go with your feelings rather than saying, no, you won't, Satan. I cast you off. And I think that's where a lot of people you know, go, we're going through the trials. But in the midst of the trials, we also still have choices. And our choices are to believe God, that he's good, that his word is true, to keep look, keeping our eyes on Jesus or asking the Holy Spirit who dwells in us to keep our eyes on Jesus so we don't have to worry about that. He'll just do it for us. Because it's the Holy Spirit who's managing the trials. He's strengthening us. 
He's also giving Margie, us options. Yeah, Margie, I think you just hit a major point when the, the question is, how do we see God through this? Do we see God as good? It's mm-hmm. really um, easy to misread or misunderstand his character because of the way testing right. has been taught in churches. Like he right. just tests us when he already knows our response. So he <laughs> appears to be a sadistic God. Yes. Like why yes. would he put Abraham through all of this emotional trauma of being mm-hmm. asked to sacrifice his only son that he had waited mm-hmm. years and years and years for? Even after he was promised a son, he waited 15 more years through infertility, finally has Isaac, and God tests him, even though supposedly God is sovereign and knows how he's going to respond, he puts him through all this emotional trauma. Mm -hmm. God Mm -hmm. appears to be a sadistic God, the way he's taught in churches. And I, even in my experience, I felt like, God, why are you doing this to me? Like, why are you allowing this? Like, it's very easy to doubt his character, doubt Mm -hmm. his um, intentions. when the church teaches it. Like this, yeah. like, okay, God was testing Abraham to see what was in his heart. That's when it's all twisted around backwards, and that's a exactly. demonic teaching. Because, you, like you just said, God already knew. He knows from the foundation of the world, Abraham's heart. He knew what was going to happen. He knew uh, what, how Abraham was going to do. Abraham didn't necessarily know how he was going to do, but God knew it. And so the test really, when, you, when you're making it out like God is testing our hearts, Okay, that means, well, then God is, he either doesn't know everything because he has to test us to find out how we're going to do, so he's not omniscient, or he's um, sadistic, as you said, and then he's, then he's, he could be bipolar, he's insane, he's crazy, he goes back and forth, he's not predictable, he's not dependable, we don't know who he is, we don't know what he is, and so this is a very bad teaching in the church, but uh, if I could, you know, con- continue with the story of Abraham, what really went down, and it never, you know, we're always looking at everything from our point of view. Oh, it just seems like we're just naturally prone to look at it from our point of view. But if we flip it and look at it from God's point of view, we see with Job, for sure, from God's point of view, that God was just re- rejoicing in the righteousness of Job, and Satan came by and says, yeah, 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 right, if, you know, you give him everything, let me test him. So God permitted Really, you could see this as a, as a dare. Satan is double-dog daring God to see if his workmanship in Job is going to stand the test that, Abraham, that, uh, that Satan is going to set up to, to test him. And so Satan was pretty sure he could crack this workmanship, this masterpiece of Job. And so God says, okay, but here's the limit. So God does draw limits, and God will not allow us to be tested above that he's, he is able to keep us. But with every temptation, makes a way of escape that we're able to bear it. But going back to the Abraham story, if you, you know, we don't get much of that in our Bible because it just kind of gives us the highlights and it really leaves out a lot of the story that is more clearly given to us in the book of Joshua, which is one of the books referred to by Joshua in the book of Joshua. And you can get that online, I believe. But so in Joshua, the, the behind the scenes, Dana, was that, um, that Satan was the one who started the trouble. He he went to God and he says, "Look, God, Abraham doesn't favor. He doesn't pay any attention to you since you've given him Isaac. Now he's got his answer. He doesn't need you. You didn't get invited to the weaning or the birthday party. He invited all these rich and famous people, but you didn't get an invitation. 
Abraham hasn't even talked to you since then, blah, 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 according to whatever. And so then Satan said, in light of all this, he said, making his argument, he says, let me test him. Tell Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. That was that didn't come from the mind of God. That came from the mind of Satan and put it to God and said, okay, let me test him. And here's how I want you to test him. Tell him, see how, how obedient. See, he's, gonna, he's setting Abraham up. Satan is setting Abraham up to be caught between obeying God and disobeying God. To obey God and sacrifice his son, he's going to have to break a commandment, thou shalt not murder. Okay? So, and besides all that, he's going to have to appear to be no better. His God is on the same par as the heathen gods who are requiring their sons to be sacrificed to their, their pagan gods. So, so God is like put in a difficult place. Abraham is put in a difficult place to sin against God. Whichever way he goes, he's going to sin. And Satan always sets up the list like that. Whichever way you go, to the right or to the left, you are ensnared, you are trapped, and you will sin. You will, because Satan is going to prove that you're a sinner. You have a sinful human nature, and that's all you do is sin because you're depraved. He is trying to reinforce that, that theory, that theological garbage in the church, in the human race, through the church. And that's why today the church has no power, because she doesn't know it, that this whole thing. So from God's point of view, God knew what Abraham would do. And Abraham trusted that God was going to provide a ram, a sacrifice, which he did. But in the meantime, Satan tried to manipulate the trial after he set it up to bring forth, you know, false comforters, uh, false advisors to advise Abraham to stop the process, to uh, advise Isaac to abandon the process. And then when they refused and they kept going in their obedience to God with faith to see it through to the end to see what God would do, Satan himself created a uh, a, a torrent, a, a river, overflowing river to to, to drown them so they would die before they could prove their faithfulness to God. So he's trying to kill them in the midst of their trial so that he could go back to God and say, see, they didn't obey you. But God, when, when God, Abraham recognized this is the work of Satan, and he rebuked the flood because there was no river on that road to Mount Moriah. There was no river. So where did this river come from? It was a demonic contriving uh, you know, thing. So he rebuked the flood. And it says, then Mastama, the name of Satan, Mastama feared the voice of Abraham. Because at that point, Abraham was so firm in believing that God would provide a, a sacrifice, so knowing of God's character that God would not require him to kill and murder, commit a sin against his own commandment, against his own son to obey God, that God was not like that. God was not crazy and insane. God was a was full of goodness and truth. So therefore, God passed his test in Abraham's mind because Abraham continued to believe that God is good, that God is sane, that God is for him. This is how we need to look at our test. We cannot listen to what the churches are teaching in this matter because they are making the people impotent and confused. That's what yeah, I have Margie, to say about I, I've used your analogy so many times that I just absolutely loved. Um, you gave the analogy of crash testing an automobile. And I drive yeah. a Jeep Cherokee, and, you know, those those cars, when they're designed, they have to go through this crash testing. And a crash mm-hmm. test is actually a form of destructive testing. 
and it's performed to ensure safe design standards. So indestructive testing, tests are carried out to the specimen's failure in order to understand a specimen's structural performance or material behavior under different loads. So what do they do? They put crash test dummies in these automobiles, and they have the car speed into a brick wall, for example. And then they look to see if the dummy um, is injured, how it held up, and then they rate the vehicles on safety. So Mm -hmm. the car is being tested. So think of us as this automobile because Mm -hmm. you said we are Christ's workmanship. It says in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, his own masterwork, it says in the Amplified, his own masterwork, a work Mm -hmm. of art created in Christ Jesus. So we're his workmanship. We're his masterwork. We're his work of art. He's the designer. So we are like the fresh, clean automobile that um, he has designed perfectly to have a five-star crash test. And he has confident, like he was confident in Job. He was confident in Abraham. He's rooting them on. And Satan comes up and says, nope, look at Job. Look at Abraham. They aren't quality workmanship. Mm-hmm. And so, like you you explained, Satan initiates the testing by saying, no, you have not designed a quality workmanship. This automobile right. is not going to stand up to the crash test. So God says, okay, and he allows Satan to then test. So it's not God that initiated the testing. God feels good about his workmanship. God feels mm-hmm. good about his design. God has right. faith in his design standing up. Mm-hmm. Satan wants to think that there's some kind of flaw. So what happens is he allows the crash test. So when we're going to these trials, I'm that automobile. And what I'm supposed to do is I need to show that I'm good workmanship. So the way I show I'm good workmanship through my trials is to glorify God, to not sin, to follow his commands, be obedient, be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, and to show Satan, nope, I am quality workmanship. I am a five-star crash test. Because if that car doesn't hold up, if that car you know, goes to smithereens and the crash test dummy is wrecked, they don't blame the crash test dummy and they don't blame the car. They go mm-hmm. back to the designer. They go back to the engineer, the one who, right. who designed the car. So God is our designer. God is our creator. And he's, he's, a, he's the one a, on trial. Uh, it's not yep. about us. It's yeah, not about me. Right. It's not about me. It's it's not the car's fault. It's not the crash dummy's fault. This would be the fault of a designer. My husband's an engineer, and he has 900 people under him, and he designs bikes for Trek Bicycle. And those bikes have to be put through crash testing. And, you know, they, they have these machines. They hook them up, and they just do rigorous stretching. And, you know, they put them through miles to see how the fork can hold up, how the wheels can hold up, all that. There's an entire part of the company that just does continual testing of these bikes now if a bike doesn't hold up and this bike gets released into the market and people get injured and someone gets paralyzed on on a bike he's held accountable as the vp of engineering so he has to go to trial and defend the quality of the design of his bike that's what's on trial when it goes to trial Mm -hmm. so if someone um, falls and their fork breaks and they paralyze themselves and they have a lawsuit against trek they're trying to show, look, there was a design flaw in the fork of this bike that caused me to be mm-hmm. paralyzed. He has to go through and show all the testing that the bike has gone through to show that, nope, that fork, there was not a design flaw in the fork. It was a mm-hmm. problem that the guy hit a squirrel or the guy hit a stick, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. what's on trial is the quality of the engineering. Right. So that's, yeah. that's why God yeah. is on trial. It's not us on trial. And God's well, the and, one that gets the heat if we don't stand up to the test. And, and, and you know what? God doesn't cheat. If he's the one being tested, 
Notice with Abraham, he didn't go behind, you know, the devil's back and whisper to Abraham, hey, hey, I'm I'm under pressure here. Um, I've got this all taken care of. But that was Satan who, who gave you that. Gave he didn't even let the let Job know about the devil, uh, you know, really at all. I mean, he let us know about it as the reader, but. So God does not cheat in his test. He doesn't try to make himself look good or, or give us some other information. He, he gives us the standard information and, and, and just expects us, like the car, for example. The car really is just the car, or the bike is just the bike. The bike can't be any better than the bike is. The bike can't you know fix its own fork or its own uh, tires, or the car can't strengthen its own bumper or any you know, we are truly uh God's workmanship and he is the author and the finisher of our faith he is the initiator he's the one who begins it and he's the one who ends it and i think there are we have to recognize in the kingdom of god there's one thing that everybody gets and that's like in the parable of the guys who started working at different times of the day and they all got paid the same wages because they even though some bore the heat of the day and some, you know, just got in at the tail end of the day. They all got the same wages, and some in the beginning were angry and upset because they had to work harder for their money. But in that particular parable, the Lord is saying everybody gets salvation. You know, those who work in the vineyard, those who come, those who submit to, those who uh, answer the call, those who um, go to work for me. You know, that's kind of accepting the invitation, basically, of salvation. But in other parables, he talks about some receiving five uh, talents, some three, some one. And he's talking more in that particular uh, story about the rewards that come through diligent. I mean, everybody's, though they're saved, they're all, they're all given something. What do they do with what they're given? And I think that's where the trials come in. That's where the rewards come in for overcoming. Being, not everybody is, is going to receive those kinds of rewards. This isn't a, okay, we all... You know, some of us can slough off, totally blow it off, wait till the last minute, give grief to everybody around us till we're 90 years old, and then accept Jesus in the last three minutes of our life, and yay, we got everything everybody else got. I don't think so. There is a place where there is a reward. There is a, a, a there's proportions, there's uh, percentages, there's differences of rewards. And this, we're not, you're, Dana, I, I never think about my child's, oh, this is going to get me lots of, uh, you know, extra rewards in heaven. I, I really don't all. think... I it's don't not think the it, motivation no, at all. No, it's not. It's not. I think our motivation, really, what God is really working at or wants us to get to is the place of being full of love, poor in spirit, trusting Him. Um, and really, when you're going through the trial, if we can understand um, the people who are persecuting us, like the martyrs did, I think they forgave their persecutors um, and this is where the, where we really grow up as the bride of Christ to love those who hate. He said, "Love your enemies." Well, it, that was that falls right after in the Beatitudes. You know, love your enemies um, and look, do good to those who you know curse you and spitefully use you. So this is really an upgrade. He says, um, "You have heard that it has been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." In other words, love the people who are nice to you or who you think you can get something out of, or you got to you know stay at peace with. But I say to you, love your enemies, those who bless, those who curse you, 
and do good for those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And oftentimes those are the people that are nearest to us. I mean, you know, we the, the we expect, you know, someone maybe to persecute us. That would be uh, ISIS or something. But really the pain comes and the temptation not to love and to be offended comes from those who are right next to us in our family, in our in our relationships, and to bless them and to... because. That's the most painful because you don't understand why. Why would they say that? Why would they do that? That just does not make sense. And so the whys that come into our mind, why and confusion that Satan sets up in there to get us off the subject. The subject is I know, this I know. know. Right, and I think that when things are going wrong, people always like to say, well, you know, God's molding you and shaping you, and this is good for you. And we know the scripture, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, I know this is supposed to be for my good, but it doesn't feel good. So Mm -hmm. I think like when I look at the scriptures on rewards, it's not about getting a reward. I think it it shows me God's character and his heart behind allowing me to go through these trials because Mm -hmm. he is good and he is rooting us on. And when we understand why we're put through testing in a biblical way, not the way the church teaches us, then I see his character in that he's the one that's being tested by Satan. And all I want is a show that I'm quality workmanship. And that makes me look wholly different at my trials because, yeah, we can't be motivated by a reward. It's not it's not that at all. Right. We need to be mm-hmm. motivated by showing uh, yeah. I want I want God to see that I am good workmanship. How am I good work- workmanship? Through this trial, I want mm-hmm. to abide in him, to be rooted in him, to be strengthened by him, and mm-hmm. to help and to have him help me not to be led into sin because Satan's wanting to lead me into sin well, to show that I'm not going to stand right. up to the crash oh, test. He, he the wants reward, to show I'm flawed. Yeah, the reward of the trial is to glorify Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. that he might be glorified in us and that the revelation of Jesus Christ might be manifest to those around me so that they can see his love, his goodness, his, his glory. But see, it's really something I can't, I cannot concoct any kind of situation that will glorify God if I am the initiator of it. It has to be something that I am in, that I'm put in, that God is sustaining me in, where my heart and motive is really simply to live as Christ and to glorify Jesus Christ. And I know that this really only comes to people who are in the advanced stages of salvation I don't believe it comes to the first, you know, in the first 20 minutes of your salvation, oh, I want to glorify Jesus. I mean, it can, but I think it comes through uh, conversations with God. It comes through reading his word. It comes through walking with him. It comes through experiencing his faithfulness. It comes through experiencing pain and disappointments and still choosing to believe that it is worth it because Jesus, God, they are good. That They're good and they have good things in mind for us and not to become weary in well-doing, not to lose heart, not to become offended, and to continue to bless our enemies. And this is so powerful. When you, you know people are practicing witchcraft against us, and I, by witchcraft, it's a very broad use of the term. Um, they're speaking evil. They're entangling us. They're setting us up. They're vindictive. They're being used by Satan to set us up in power struggles and accusations and uh, incriminate us, uh, things that, that are demonically there's a demonic intelligence 
intelligence behind these kinds of snares because there's no human way to work it out, to get out of these things. You have to let God work. It's like the Berlin Wall, the East and the West Berlin. When that wall was up, there was no way to bring that wall down. There was no, seemed like there was no negotiations, no compromises. Each side was, you know, butting heads with the other. And all of a sudden, boom, the wall is down. And nobody, if you stop and go back to it, I, I never heard anybody be able to give an explanation of why the Berlin Wall, East and West, fell down that day. I, it just seemed like it was just a God thing after a while. No one negotiated it. No one. It wasn't in a treaty, I don't believe. I could be wrong about that, so if you feel like you need to correct me on that, go ahead. But, I mean, you or anybody who's listening. But I, it was just kind of a miraculous thing. God just did it. And I believe that in these coming days that God is just going to do some things that, you know, he may do them in our lifetime. And I think when we start to see God doing things, um, like even the blood moon, it's a little bit of a vindication of God's still there, God's still doing things. But when we really start to see things being done and the scriptures, the last end times prophecies being fulfilled, um, I, I believe and I hope that it will bring a true joy to the people of God and a fear of God in the, in the people who hate God so that they will have a chance to come to him. But in the meantime, our tests are intensifying, I believe, Dana, because we're ending this process mm-hmm. of boot camp is ending. I think we're coming to the, the final culmination, which may be, um, it may be a rapture, it may be an execution. Don't know. And I don't really think that's the big issue. I think that's a, that's a trivial issue. I think the rapture is a trivial issue. I think what's the biggest issue that is being overlooked totally, that's much more serious, is that Jesus Christ is coming again. There is a second coming that we need to be aware of, not how he's you know, going to pull us out of this mess, but if, if we understand that the King of Kings is coming back and that our trials are intensifying because we're ending, we're coming to the end. You know, the trials, the tests get harder as you go up the ladder in whatever you're doing. Um, and so that the, the Lord is, is uh, just about finished with those this is our time of testing. This is our persecution. Um, and so I believe that it's an opportunity that we don't want to miss. The Bible says redeeming the time because the days are evil. And I have to just say this. I, there's no time to wait. There's no time to kill. There's no time to um, put off. There's no time to lollygag. There's no time to try to build something in this world for yourself, a little nest, a little escape, a little... Uh, haven, the crawling of somewhere in the rocks or something. There's really, that's not what this is all about. If we really know what this is about, this is about letting people know Jesus is coming again. And I believe we can do that with power, with signs, with wonders. And power, part of that power is the demonstration of our love in the in the face of persecution. I think that's one of the most powerful things we have. Yeah, I think, Margie, you know, people always say, oh, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. You know, we have all these little sayings, but it's not biblical because God is giving me more than I can handle because it is impossible for me to handle this on my own. It's only possible for him to handle it. So Mm -hmm. God does give us more than we can handle if we try to do it in our own strength. And as we... You know, our, our, as this one-world system that's hostile to Christianity is exponentially moving faster. I mean, we're seeing it in the news, even this summer, the things that were happening within legislature. 
um, you know, Christians are going to be facing more and more difficulty in, in um, speaking the truth in a world that's all about tolerance and um, coexisting. Yeah. And uh, God, <laughs> there's going to be times where um, God is allow, going to allow us to be in situations where it is going to be too much for us to handle, right. whether um, well, we're getting yeah. persecuted or blamed yeah. or, you know, we could be put in prison, um, well, look you at, know, pastors look at might be... Yeah, look mm-hmm. at look at the prophet Jeremiah in the midst of the conflict. He went to the king to say, the enemy is going to come and overtake you. The king didn't like the word. His guys didn't like the word. So what did they do? They threw Jeremiah in the pit for taking a stand, for being courageous to speak. I mean, I don't think Jeremiah wanted to speak, but he had he couldn't not speak. He said it was shut up within him. And so he spoke, and they threw him in the pit. So he's in this miry pit, sinking down, no food, and the enemy is coming uh, crashing down all around him in 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 the battle, and people are running and trying to escape, and there's fires and whatever's going on, and he's helpless. He's in the midst of this pit, but God laid it on some guy, guy's heart, I forget his name, I think it begins with an E, to come and petition the king to bring him bread, and then petition the king to let him out. So they put these rags together and pulled Jeremiah up by his armpits, and guess what? When the alien, when the when the, the the enemy came in, they were they were disposed to let Jeremiah have whatever he wanted. They gave him freedom to go this way or that way. Isn't that amazing? His own king, his own people threw him in a pit, and the enemy king came and says, "Jeremiah, do you want to come with us or do you want to stay here?" <laughs> I mean, talk about total freedom. And same with us, and you're talking about standing up for righteousness. I, we need to do that, not in not in, with a vengeance or a vendetta or an agenda, but we need to simply take the stand of the Most High God and do it without an attitude, you know, without a judgment. And I think a lot of people, they get on their high horse because they, they've got a political agenda, they've got a, you know, a, a, you know a, an ax to grind, or they've got, a, you know, they've got to make something right, or they've got to do something to prove uh, but we will simply come in as the servants of the Most High God. I don't think Jeremiah came in with an attitude, um, how dare you. Um, he just came in speaking the word of the Lord, and they didn't like it. And so they threw him in the pit. So he was at the mercy of God to control the situation, to get him out of the pit or leave him die in the pit. I mean, he was willing, I guess he did, had no choice, to be starved to death or die in this mud pit, which was basically up to his waist. I mean, it wasn't just a little dry well down there with a you know a nice little pillow to lay on while he's waiting for somebody to figure this out. He was really up to it in mire. I mean, it's like, okay, that's not very comfortable. That's scary. And yet you said, as you said before, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man, but God is faithful. There's the key right there. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to, but beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you're able to bear it. So he knows our frame is but dust. He knows that we're weak. He knows our cracking points. He knows that, you know, he is able because he's faithful. He's going to rescue us. Now that rescue may not look like what you and I would think it should look like. For Jeremiah, it turned out really good. He got to buy a piece of property. You know, he got to go into captivity. He came back. He I don't know. He bought his land, I would imagine, settled down and lived his 80, 90 years out. He had to be pretty old because if he was in captivity 70 years 
And then he still got back and, and, you know, lived on his property that God told him to buy before the captivity went down. And he was probably at least 20, 25. So he was a pretty old man when he took him pretty long, you know, like John and Isle of Patmos, they're 90 years old and finally seeing the full story, the end of the story. Um, Right, and you know, we talked last week about the bride being in combat boots, which means if you're in combat boots, you're going to go into battles and you're going to be in the front line. You, Mm -hmm. if you're going to stand up against this world system and speak the truth and not just, you know, shrink down thinking I can't speak because I'm afraid of the consequences, if you're going to be on the front line, what happens to soldiers on the front line? Sometimes they're taken, you know, prisoner of war. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're shot and killed. Sometimes they're injured. You know, they come back paralyzed and, you know, they don't have any quality of life anymore. I mean, that's that's the reality of it. And that's why we're put through boot camp. Like, God really showed me this whole trial I've been going through in the last three years. This is boot camp because he has something that he's preparing for me to do. And I don't know if it's here or in heaven. Mm-hmm. I don't know Mm -hmm. when there's going to be the fruition of that, but I know this is preparation. Because what does he want? He wants soldiers. He wants them strengthened. And we talked last week about the mark of a a soldier. And this week I looked up the characteristic of a hero. You know, they are ones that overcome fear. They're courageous. They sacrifice. They're determined. They're focused. They have compassion. They persevere. They're dedicated. They have strong moral convictions, loyalty, fearless, unshakable, resolute. They have fortitude. So, and most the most desired quality is wisdom. How does mm-hmm. God give me wisdom without allowing me to go through hardships to learn in this right. process? Right. So all you of can't. this is preparing mm-hmm. me. If you trust God, the the that this is boot camp, that I'm being put through a crash test. I'm that automobile being put through crash test because mm-hmm. this is boot camp, and it's preparing me for something else then I can stand and trust mm-hmm. and I can be long-suffering and patient and he can then use me. Because like, like you said, otherwise you're going to go down the route of self-pity, bitterness. Uh, you're going to twist God's char- character. You're going to be paralyzed, right. whatever. But if you see the bigger picture of this is boot camp, I want to be quality workmanship. And that God is allowing this because he wants to use me for a greater battle. And I don't know what that battle is going to be, and I don't know what the outcome is going to be here. Like if you look at Job and Elijah, I mean, God loved both of them, and they both were put through uh, horrible trials. And if you look at Job, he ended up restoring everything that Job had, and then some, by tenfold. I mean, he had Mm -hmm. greater riches in his family and everything um, given back to him. And I keep waiting for my Job moment. God, are you going to just bless me with this great marriage and family and restore everything like you did with Job? But then you look at Elijah, and in Elijah, he didn't necessarily um, restore everything. He let Jezebel break his spirit. I mean, Elijah was suicidal under a tree. But what Mm -hmm. did God do? God sustained him. God provided. So, Job got amazing, and then of Elijah course, then Elijah got, got the he, Elijah got the fiery chariot. He got whisked off up into heaven at some point. So that's a pretty grand exactly. and uh, finale. <laughs> but exactly, so that was the heavenly blessing. But the mm-hmm. earthly, um, he didn't get the restoration that the earthly restoration that Job got. But right. God sustained him, and I thought of that this morning when I wasn't even going to do the radio show, and when I prayed. Um, 
and God said, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you, he's talking about don't worry about what you eat, you're going to eat. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry if your life is being torn apart. Don't worry if every yeah, right. foundation of security is ripped and you don't even know how you're going to live in God the coming years. God all the foundations. He's saying, mm-hmm. don't worry about it, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and I'll provide. And that's what he did for Elijah. He provided for him sitting under that tree when he was suicidal. Mm-hmm. And, yes. you know, I've reached that point several times of just feeling so down right. and out in despair that you just want to give up. And what does God do? He sustains us. He brought well, him the thing is, food the thing and is sustenance. The point is that we, we begin, to begin to realize that God knows us. He knows where I'm at. He knows me. He loves me because he knows me. He loves me. I mean, it's your own children. If you know they're going through a fiery trial, as a parent, you're going to suffer with them. And, and and you want to do everything you can to be totally connected and aware and helpful and, and sustaining and encouraging. And I think the, the the best revelation is that Jesus loves me. He, in all of this, it doesn't matter what that looks like because it's all the devil trying to make me think Jesus doesn't love me. But to know that God knows, he knows where I am, he's concerned about, uh, he, he wants me to do well. He, he wants me to get this, to understand this. And it's interesting that in all of the things that Paul could have asked God for in the great, awesome wisdom and revelation God gave him, in Philippians chapter 3, he reduces his requests, what he wanted for his life. You know, think of all his shipwrecks and his you know, persecutions and uh, near-death experiences and, and close escapes and blah, blah, blah. And so in, in Ephesians, uh, Philippians chapter 3, he says in verse 10, um, let's see, I'm going to start with 8. But indeed, I also count all these things, all of his, his righteousness, all of his pedigree, things, I count these things as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish that I may gain him. He lost his reputation. He lost his, almost lost his life on many occasions and finally did. Um, willing to go to, to Rome as a prisoner so he could, you know, preach the gospel there. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That I may, here it is, verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, he's not saying here, I've got to go through all this stuff so I can get saved, so I can be resurrected from the dead. He is just saying that he wants to know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, because that's intimacy with God. When you suffer with someone, when we suffer with God for the wickedness of this world, that is intimate fellowship. When Abraham was suffering with God and Abraham was being put through a prophetic act, God was letting Abraham see and sense and feel how he himself, as the father, would, would feel when he had to sacrifice his own son. And at, at God's point, there was no angel who stopped the, the, the hand of the soldier or the nails. There was no angel of mercy that stopped the knife or the blade, or the sword, or the spear, into Jesus. But but God allowed Abraham to enter into the fellowship of the intimacy of understanding his own heart and his own pa- his sadness, his own grief, his own, um, 
you know, whatever God had to go through to sacrifice his son for the world and for a world that he knew would turn out like this, to spit in his face, to use the very breath that he has given them to curse him, to eat the food he has provided in an ungrateful manner and be entitled to indulge in all of the gifts and the resources of this earth for their own selfish means and to then say there is no God and that we've came from monkeys. I mean, this to, to see it from God's point of view of what he knew this world would end up being and Jesus decided to die on the cross anyway for those of us who would call, you know, call upon the name of the Lord. It is an amazing epic of love. It is a de- demonstration of incredible passion. And what's a little suffering? I mean, what can the devil do to you that God can't fix? Really, bottom line, he can't do anything, you know. And like Job said in the middle of his ter- trial in chapter 13, even though God slay me, yet will I trust him. The bottom line was he was going to trust in the goodness of God, even though his friends, everybody, his situation was dire and terrible. He says, I'm going to trust God. And I think if we get to that place, like you got up this morning and you said, I'm going to do this. Look it, you're feeling great. I think you're feeling better. You did an awesome job on the show today. This is what happens when we are going into a battle. Just before the battle, oftentimes there will be a demonic attack, whether it's a technical technical assault against the radio show like it was last week. This week we had no technical difficulties. He was attacking the speakers. You know, it, it just... Be prepared for, you know, an attack. And and I remember one time I was getting ready to go, going into the church we pastored, and there had been a huge, just a huge upheaval of some sort. I don't remember what it even was, but it was sort of against me, but I don't remember what it was. And I was so tempted to be just embittered and not even sure I had to go into that building to do a Bible study or do something, I don't remember what it was, with people. And as I put my hand on the door handle of the church, I said, by the grace of God, he said, I'm going in. I'm not going to be turned away. I'm not going to go feel sorry for myself. I'm not going to make an excuse. and not go. I'm going in by the grace of God. And I had that split second of putting my hand on the doorknob of that church as I walked in to know that I was probably going to go into another part two of my crucifixion or whatever it was they were planning for me. I was going to go in. And I just saw how quickly one little decision like that you you don't have to have 40 hours to prepare your mind. You just say, I'm going, and God prepared me, and it was a victory. I don't remember all the details. I just remember putting my hand on the doorknob and saying, I'm going in. And um, I think we need to make that kind of resolve like you did this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up. I'm going to do it. And I just have to say it was an awesome show myself. <laughs> Thank you. You know, and it is just trusting that God will provide, because I was thinking of Elijah and that God just brought his sustenance. And just like... God was saying, don't worry about the bread and all this other thing. Just seek me first and my kingdom. And, you know, in the Amplified, I've been looking at what really um, defines someone as being saved. You know, you think about, uh, you know, you think of people who believe in Jesus. They say, yeah, I believe he died on the cross. But you don't see any fruit in their life. You don't see a, a love of the word. They don't even want to talk about God. And you think, mm-hmm. you know, what is it? What is it that makes someone born again what what gives us our salvation and as i look through the scriptures there were really three components one was a personal trust and um only we can you know determine our salvation it's personal it has to belong to us no one can do it for us but a personal mm-hmm. trust in believing in the reliability truth and the ability and strength of god it's first believing in his strength his truth 
his reliability. And then the second is it's a confident surrender. It's really feeling certain, and it's ceasing resistance and submitting to the authority of God. It really is a an act of submission because I see people mm-hmm. who believe in their head that Jesus died on the cross. They believe it to be the truth, but they don't want to submit. They want to be in control of their life. They don't want to submit to God. So there is a, a confident surrender, that dying of self that we talked about at the beginning mm-hmm. of the show. And then the third is a real firm reliance. It's a solid, unyielding, stable dependence on and trust in God. Despite our circumstances, despite what we're going to go through, it's that firm reliance. And a lot of this comes down to his character. In Hebrews, it talks about, you know, faith. What's the definition of faith? And it's leaning and trusting of our entire personality on God's wisdom, goodness, and provision. And I was thinking how... You know, those are the things that Satan makes us question. God's goodness. Is he good? Like when 9-11 happened. When 9-11 happened, everybody's like, well, why did God allow this? They think God isn't good. And we talked about that today. The second Mm -hmm. one is his wisdom. You know, he's he's making a mistake here. What's he thinking? Mm -hmm. You know, trusting that he's wise and that he's doing the right thing. And then the third is his power. You know, people think, well, if there's all this evil in the world, God must be powerless. Why doesn't he do something about it? Why didn't Jesus get off the cross? It looks Mm -hmm. like we serve a powerless God that allowed the world to crucify him. It looks like he lost. So Mm -hmm. we doubt his power. We doubt his goodness. We doubt his wisdom. Those are the things that Satan wants us to question. It's really God's character on trial. And a lot of our faith is dependent on how we see God. And if we have a wrong view of God, that affects our than ability to surrender and trust him. Because if I don't believe he's good, how can I trust him? How can I surrender? How can I have a firm reliance on him? If I don't believe he's wise, if I don't believe he's Mm -hmm. powerful. So really that's the crux of everything is it's God's character on trial. Exactly. That's what's pivotal to everything. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's really the main question we have to ask is what is truth, right? Before we can even ask who is God, what is God, is there truth? Well, well, if we don't believe is. God is truth, then, then where there's, do we nowhere go? Go. Yeah. there's nowhere to go. But I think that that's what Satan does is he tries to affect our faith by perverting and twisting God's character. And it's really easy um, exactly. to twist character when you're um, going through trials. It's well, he, really he, easy. He, like, say you say you lose a spouse, someone close to you dies. Mm-hmm. You know, say you have a horrible trial, you have cancer. You know, say you're going bankrupt, whatever it is. It's really easy in those um, tough times to really question God's character. And we use our own vain imaginations in coming up with what we want God to be rather than relying on what Scripture tells us God is. So we make a God to our own liking, and we make him into a a tolerant, coexisting God who gives us license to sin because that's what we want. We want to be God Mm -hmm. ourselves. So it's not about worship of Satan. What Satan wants you to do is trust yourself, be the God of your own world, take control of your own life, ignore the need for God, because Mm -hmm. it's either you allow God to be God, you submit, you surrender, you trust, like we talked about, or you are God. You are Mm -hmm. living your life, you're in control, you think you're in control of your destiny. That's how Satan wins. Satan wants you to think you are God, you're in control. Well, that's exactly what he's doing. In mm-hmm. the world today, mm-hmm. he's creating our own. We're we're fashioning gods after our own imagination, and recreating God's character according to uh, appearances. 
and our perceptions and judgments and things like that. But this is, you know, really you're starting uh, hitting on a whole, you know, new uh, t- chapter that w- of, of discussion uh, with understanding salvation and what it takes to be saved and what that means. And just to comment on what you're saying, I totally agree with everything, um, that when we're saved, those those first things, the personal trust and reliance and confidence and surrender, um, all of these things come through the testing. They come through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. I mean, salvation is like, okay, I'm born. I'm born again. Now becomes the process of sanctification, which is like, okay, now you have the child, and now you have to instruct the child, train the child, teach the child, you know, how to um, do various things to uh, develop their their gifts and talents. So it's really, there's two parts to it. There's a, there's the born, again, salvation process, and then the sanctification, which is where we come into that place. And so they're not the same thing, but they both really uh, weld together or knit together in God's purposes for us to know him. It's really about knowing him and his character. And um, so, you know, I, Dana, I think that this is another subject that's that's worth a whole show. Um, mm. Salvation, uh, confidence, <laughs> surrender. I don't know if you're up to another show. Maybe you want to, we'll get together and talk about that. Um, but I I'm really... I'm up for it. I'm up for whatever. I mean, God's just okay. been directing this week by week. I didn't even know what I was going to talk about today. Mm. I had a horrible migraine for the last 24 hours, I was between heating pen and ice pack, the worst headache I've had in years. Couldn't even think straight. was laid out flat. Well, what was and, the uh, lie you were believing? Because migraines <laughs> are having a conflict with your conflict. <laughs> maybe this was it. Uh, that's a whole other radio show. Good. Yeah, that's a whole other. Well, maybe that's the next week's radio show. But um, I think you did awesome. I'm really Thank happy you. about that. And I just want to give you an invitation. And your, he sure does. You see how he strengthened her, guys? You think you had it bad. Okay. See, God took her right through this thing, and she did an awesome job. Um, but I would like to invite you, Dana, and the rest of the listeners as well to our conference this weekend. Um, this would be October 17th, Saturday, October 17th, in Rogers at the Holiday Inn. We're gonna, I'm going to do a, a day conference. It's free, open to the public. It's um, called Untangling the Lies, um, Getting to the Lies Before the Lies Get to You, and talking about, you know, various truths around sin, sanctification, salvation, the Son um, of God, and these lies that we believe is exactly what you're kind of leading into, which is awesome. So anyway, that would be from uh, 10 o'clock to 3, 3.30 on Saturday up in Rogers, um, which is just North Metro, uh, easy to find. If you want information, you can check out our website. I think it's it's on that website. Um and the directions, et cetera, et cetera. And the other thing is that um, we are just, you know, experiencing the revelation of Jesus Christ day by day and this awesome um, thing that he's doing through you, Dana. So let me pray for you. Father, thank you for our sister who's awesome, mighty warrior. I pray, Father God, that whatever the devil tried to do to make her sick and migraines and hot packs and ice packs and all kinds of things, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for her that this you'd reveal to her your love, your truth, and that the lie would be exposed by the light of your truth, and that you would bring forth great and instant healing to her, that she can go about the rest of her day with great peace, joy, and rejoicing, and that the conflict has been resolved in and through the love of Jesus Christ. And we pray that same prayer for the rest of you who are suffering or struggling, may you be encouraged this day and may we go forward in the power of his might. Father, in Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Thank you, Margie. And thank you. And we'll be talking to you again soon. We'll chit-chat and see what we got, if next week's a good idea. Oh, what do we got here? Oh, our website, yeah, is liferecovery.com. Sorry about that, liferecovery.com. If you want to go there to check out the um, information about the conference and about a lot of other stuff we got going. So God bless you all and have a wonderful week.